Welcome once again to Paranormal, the New Normal, where we go into the unknown to see what people have seen and experienced in their life. Our guest this week is Christopher Susi, who is a paranormal investigator who has been all over the world investigating hauntings, ghosts, and maybe more, but we'll find out. Christopher, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. How about yourself? I can't complain too much. No one would listen anyway, but um so why don't you just give listeners a brief overview of your career in the paranormal oh sure um so i was a military brat and uh that put us uh you know all over the world um my first harrowing paranormal experience was when i was six years old in amberg germany and uh pretty much from six years old on i would go wherever anybody said oh there's a ghost there oh (laughs) just stay away from that place oh that place is you know cursed or you know haunted and it was an obsession um and a lot of it had to do with it, it more trying to soothe my fear uh i i'm i'm still very phobic i'm still have uh, a healthy dose of just unease and one of the things that helps me find ease is to go to these places experience it for myself so i have a frame of reference so i'm not dealing with my imagination i'm dealing with the actual sensation and that became the core of my ghost hunting was to have something solid that i understood that i was the author of you know somebody else says that place is haunted my brain will just make it the worst thing ever and it will plague me so when somebody says that thing's haunted i I feel compelled to go and look and see and find and create a story for myself. So, um, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating because ghost hunting has come a long way since oh, oh God, uh, yeah. my youth and it's changed drastically uh, in, in a lot of ways. I, and but when I say changed drastically, I guess it's just the acceptance of it has changed drastically. Um, maybe not the practice, but certainly what people expect out of it and what people kind of get out of it. Um, and I always say what I'm after is a story. What I'm after is the story. Um, and in many regards, I'm not that interested in history. I'm not that interested in finding all the connections. I'm interested in experience and having experience and being able to justify my fears and say, (laughs) I was scared there and it, and for good reason. So um, I have been able to hunt goats on four continents. I've, you know, uh, I was in the army myself and wherever I went in the army, I'd find the ghost stories. I'd ask people, you know, what are your ghost stories? Which by the way, for anybody listening, excellent way to learn about ghosts is to ask your friends, is to ask people you know, just ask them, do they have any ghost stories? And even people who claim to be, absolute skeptics they'll have one you know they'll have one experience or one thing or just a story that kind of like touched on their you know psyche somehow and when people share those stories it's the stories that become very significant and you'll find that in patterns a lot of ghost stories are very similar and they're very connective and connected so i'm always i'm big on ghost stories you know i think ghost stories are a part of human existence that bears witness to the human experience so i'm i'm that's that's you know the uh the soapbox i get on 
is be careful of debunkers, be careful of people who are too, um, too caught up in the nuance of ghosts and the paranormal because they oftentimes overlook the sensation and the feeling and the place that a ghost story plays in human history. Uh, I've seen ghost stories die, which is one of the things that really bothers me. And when I say die, I mean, they, they, they debunked them into non-existence. Like people will say, well, that, that never happened. And those people never had that. And that person never existed. And then you've got 200 years of ghost stories that somebody has basically said, don't have any place, but they did. They absolutely did. They, people were afraid of it for 200 years. <laughs> Children, you know, told it around the campfire for uh, 200 years. And if that was the case, maybe we need a different definition of, of, what a ghost story is to us personally. So um, yeah, I, 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 have, I have been in harrowing and scary uh, uh, positions. I've seen things. Uh, I've even touched a ghost once. Um, so I have a, a wide variety of experiences and, um, and I generally go with experience over equipment. Which that's a very smart way to do it in my opinion. But, and as you're saying, ghost hunting has evolved greatly to a point where people are now more accepting of it. It's not just something they did on Scooby-Doo back in the day. Now it's an actual profession people have, and they are respected for doing it rather than being mocked and laughed at for it. And Absolutely. I would say, though, that technology, it is the technology, too, though. The technology has improved greatly since the 60s, 70s, when people, when people were trying to do it, and they had nothing but maybe the uh, transmitters and the possibly a seance board <laughs> and i even like uh I, and i use all the equipment i i just don't depend on it yeah um because i'm sorry to say this listeners ghost hunting is boring <laughs> most ghost hunts revolve around sitting very still and very quiet for long periods of time you know i i can honestly say that of tens of thousands of hunts that i've been on and i have i've been on so many hunts in my life i only have a few stories by contrast you know uh i cannot tell you how many times you you literally just spend a whole night and you don't get anything or or what you get is so trivial and small that it doesn't really register as something significant um but uh if you've got some toys if you've got an infrared camera you know if you if you can get a, a fleer get a fleer because there's nothing more fun than like looking at your feet through your shoes with a fleer you know <laughs> seeing your bones and stuff i mean it's it's awesome all the equipment helps pass that time and uh, and i strongly endorse using equipment because it helps uh back up any experiences you do have but like i said when there's nothing happening that equipment can make it a lot more fun Oh, I agree 100%. I mean, we, I had, as people, as listeners of the show do know, I had paranormal investigators in my house back in November because I bought a house in November and actually like they came in December. I bought the house in November. My girlfriend then now fiance was seeing things in the house at night and her family was too. So I got paranormal investigators come in long story short. It's the, it's the couple who built the house that are still residing in the house. Sure. They use divining rods. They use the camera. They use everything you could think of. And basically, I wouldn't have believed any of it just because of the instruments. It was the cold feeling down my back when I heard thank you whispered in my ear. 
when we were talking about me fixing up the house and in a room that we believed the spirits were in at the time. And absolutely. The, the hair, absolutely. The hairs that stand up my back. That's when you know something's going on that you can't explain. The human body is a far more sophisticated detective device, far more sophisticated than anything we have. We can register changes in temperature. We can register the slightest change in ionic interference. We just sitting in the dark can sit there and go, God, do you feel that? And there will be no register, no reader, no EMF going off, but you are sitting there going, I sense something. I feel something. I am so much a proponent of go for the experience, find the experience, and then try to contain it, try to find a way to understand the experience. Um, and uh, again, the, the, the toys are fun, but go for the experience. So I will say with the infrared camera, they did get a picture of me standing in the room when I told them I felt a cold chill to my back and I can see it and some and 50, 50 people can see it. There is, it looks like there's a face between my arm and my stomach. It looks like there's oh, a face. That's intense. Yeah, and it's incredible. Whenever you get stuff like that, you know, like I said, you know, I, I cannot even imagine how many uh, investigations I've done in my life. It, uh, uh, because it was a regular thing all through high school, I'd say almost every night we went out, you know, if not, you know, certainly every weekend and, um, you know, up into the army. And then, you know, for 20 years, I, I, I was a, a ghost tour guide for years in Savannah, Georgia. And, you know, that oftentimes after telling ghost stories, my guests would be like, Hey, can we go somewhere? Do you know a place to go? And I'd say, yeah, let's go over here. Let's, let's check this out. So, you know, I've had just so many experiences and of all those experiences, it's very rare that you get evidence. You know, it's very rare when you, when you have like a, a picture that you can point out and say, look at this. And I, I've, I have some phenomenal ones, but there's people would be like, oh, you have so much. I was like, no, <laughs> by comparison, this isn't even 1% of the hunts that, you know, represented in my, yeah. you know, in my evidence, but I do have those experiences. I have lots of sensations and feelings and witnessing of things that I, I do not spend a lot of time uh, denying. So, uh, well, actually, I guess the first question that comes to my mind is, have you ever published any books about any of the different cases you looked into? So it's funny how many people have, have uh, asked me to do this because I'm actually a professional writer. Uh, but I, for some reason, I, I've never written, uh, my, my ghost stories down. Uh, and it's weird. I don't know why I couldn't explain why, uh, I'm primarily like a, a playwright screenwriter. Uh, so I, I'm mostly writing, you know, dramas to be performed. So, um, yeah, it's, it's weird. I, I never have, but I do have one weird story, which is I was at, uh, the, uh, Bluffton library telling, I got hired to tell ghost stories for a Halloween event. So I'm telling ghost stories and I'm, you know, and of course you dramatize it up so that it's, it's, it's compelling and thrilling. And, and I believe that you should craft your ghost story. Like if something happens to you, find a way to tell it that is in, engaging and entertaining. Like you're, you're hearing the whisper, you know, just finding a way to contain it because I believe that that's the only true ghost trap is a story. If you can contain it in a story, it becomes a resident of the story. The story itself becomes something that you can carry around and hold at arm's length. But I'm telling these stories, and right at the end, I'm you know packing up, I'm getting up, and I uh, this guy like 
spins me, like grabs my arm and spins me around. And he's this older man. And he looks and he leans uncomfortably close to me. And he says, when are you going to write your book? And I was like, ha ha ha, you know, uh, I, I guess. And I turn away just for a second. And when I turn back, he is gone. And it is a big room. It's not like, you know, there's some place for him to just walk away. And I got that chill. I got that chill down my back. And I was like, I better write a book, you know, because I felt like something was being like, you better write a book. Um, and mind you, that was seven years ago now. So I haven't yet, but um, I did. That's not, that's not entirely true. I did start writing a book, which was um, my favorite ghost stories are the ones that I collect from people like sitting down and talking to people. So even more than like the investigation itself is like when somebody tells me their experience and they're passionate about it and it, it, and it, it was something that happened to them, listening to people tell their ghost stories is, is so rewarding to me because it also alleviates my sensation, my unease, my disease uh, with, with the paranormal. So, uh, so I, I started writing a book of encounters that I had because of stories that people told me. So it's like a connection of the story that led me to stay, you know, the story that led me to, to try to uncover the, the ghost of a situation. Uh, because I think they're, th those stories are the ones that are most memorable to me. It's funny that you actually put it that way. Cause my guest last week, Eleanor Wagner, she wrote two books about hauntings of Sussex County, New Jersey. Right. And she, that's she's the same way like she likes to write other people's encounters more than her own which i actually just got her books a couple days ago from amazon so i am looking forward to reading those eleanor if you're listening but because i <laughs> well I, I will i will order them as well eleanor if you're listening <laughs> i mean they they look phenomenal i mean and especially the fact that she's a little section to end for bigfoot <laughs> gotta love bigfoot new jersey stories I, absolutely i i, I could I picture him in the jersey devil just hanging out in the woods like what's with these sure. humans yeah, it's like we're running out of space, you know. Exactly. But it's just, I mean, yeah, I have always been one of those people who loves the paranormal, loves ghost stories, loves hearing them, loves reading them. But I don't do the investigating myself because, like you, I have a phobia of it that's, I don't want to run into something that's not a ghost that is worse than a ghost and is going to make me regret running into it. You know, it's, um, I, I always say it's a compulsion. It's like an obsession with me um, because my imagination uh, is is equally damaging. Like I don't want to encounter a ghost, but I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about the ghost. So if I go there, whether I encounter it or not, it becomes something that has passed. I've gone through whatever gauntlet for for my own satisfaction. I'm I'm now like okay. I've been there. I've experienced something, but I'm going to walk past it. And actually, I just, I, I forgot to mention, I forgot to ask this, but when you had the experience with the old man spinning you around to ask you about the book, did it ever cross your mind that it might be like a time slip? A possible so it's funny because um, somebody else asked me that. Somebody actually asked me if it looked like an old me. Yeah asking me if I thought it was an older man. And I was like, no, not at all. Don't, don't say that, you know, in my mind, it's all frizzing out. But in the last like, three or four years, they've made all these old people filters. Exactly. 
and the old person filter on my face does not look anything like me. I think, you know, that it doesn't, that doesn't make sense. And weirdly enough, it looks a lot like my dad. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that freaks me out that I'm going to end up looking like my dad. Um, but for the, it, I remember the first time I was like, that does kind of look like that guy. You know, it was the first time I really like that does look like my, you know, in my memory of him, uh, except his hair was like white, white. Um, that was the only thing that was, and I'm like, uh, you know, okay, that's really odd because I guess I always thought I would know what I would look like old, you know, in my imagination, I'm like, yeah, I'd look like old, but, um, I guess, you know, nature is a weird bird. Yeah. We never, we never really know what we're going to look like old. I mean, right. even family members that you look, you look on the wall, pictures of them when they're young and you look at pictures and you look at them now and you're like, how'd they get from that to that? Right. Exactly. Like, it's just, sometimes it's unexplainable the way that our DNA or genes will make us change as we get older. And it's well interesting. I mean, I, I'm a, I, uh, I'm half Asian. So my mom has looked the same since, you know, for the last 30 years, <laughs> you know, she looks pretty much exactly the same as I remember her. So I always figured that I'd just always just be a different version of the person I always was. But my dad, he went from looking like, uh, you know, an ordinary person to looking kind of like the Ayatollah Khomeini. So it was, it was a weird journey and, and he's not Middle Eastern at all. He's, he's as white as the day is long, but he, uh, he, 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 he looks very foreign now. It's like, how did, how did that happen? I don't, I don't understand. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I could see it. My, my, my grandfather on my father's side was the same way. He looked the pictures of him when he was younger. He looked like a, regular american soldier going off to world war ii and now when he's older he looks like he could be a middle eastern tycoon like he's <laughs> exactly he lived in florida for 20 30 years and he just got that tan that he looks that way <laughs> right yeah uh, my dad uh actually went to the middle east to work after he, he retired from the army and got hired by a private firm went to the middle east and he just soaked in so much sun that his skin became like a leathery dark mass yep. exactly <laughs> exactly it's the same thing exactly yeah. So, what four continents have you been to? That's what I'm curious about. I mean, I'm assuming North America is one of them, but North America, South America, Europe, and uh, Africa. Or, and when I say Africa, it, it was the Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Um. So technically, the Middle, Middle East. West, kind of like Western Africa, though. Almost. Uh, well, yeah. You know, it's 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 or, weird because it seems like it's its own thing, but it certainly was on the African continent. You know. Oh, well, I mean, I mean, Eastern Eastern Africa. Correct myself Eastern there. Africa, yes. Yeah, yeah. Which, although it, they call it Southwest Asia too. Like, yeah, like, it's. Uh, it I gets, mean, it gets the, clunky when you're in that region, <laughs> as yeah. to where you are. Uh, you know, um, uh, for instance, one of the weirdest ghostly experiences I had was in Iraq mm. uh, and just being in the desert. And the desert's just a weird place to begin with. It's an incredible like expanse of nothing. And you have this sensation of the nothingness, you know, you, and the sky is so different and the, the stars are so, you can see depth in the sky. I was not used to like seeing yeah. distance, like looking up and going, those stars are not as close as these stars. <laughs> That was so weird, but uh, one night we had this crazy fog roll in so much so that we actually thought it was a um, like a chemical attack because we saw it on the horizon, something coming at us, and we even like mounted our alarm and we had uh, 
the alarm. The alarm was like honking your horn three times, you know, <laughs> in repetitiveness to tell people, put on your gas mask, get ready, you know, something's coming. And it was from horizon to horizon, which boggles the mind because in the desert horizon, horizon, you're looking at hundreds of miles. And it was something that big, just rolling at us like crazy. And it's coming at us and coming at us, coming at us, and it swooped over us. And then we were in this fog. And at first we thought it was going to be a sandstorm because we'd had a couple of sandstorms, but it was fog. It was dense, dense fog, so dense. You couldn't see your hands in front of you. It was just one of those things where you're like, I'm in fog. And it was in the middle of the night, and there was like a sliver of moon that made the fog glow. So now you're in glowing fog, in the dark, can't see anything, didn't want to talk because you, you couldn't see what was in the fog. So you felt super isolated, super surrounded. And um, on Humvees, they have uh, these, um, the light safety lights. Uh, they're little red lights that kind of just shine on the ground so that you're not shining headlights. Yeah. And uh, you know when you don't want the enemy <laughs> to see you driving around, you put this little light on and it gives you a little infrared and a little, a little sight before you. And as I was standing there, I looked and I saw two of these red lights, like two Humvees coming at me. And I'm like, okay, you know, get ready. There's a whole protocol when a vehicle approaches and what you're supposed to say. Of course. And uh, so it's coming at me, it's coming at me, it's coming at me. And I'm like, okay, the lights themselves are too close to each other because of the way they're positioned on a Humvee. They couldn't possibly be that close to each other. And they, they're these orangish lights. And they're just coming at me. And I'm suddenly feeling this deep panic and this deep sensation and this feeling of unease. And I hear this cacophonous sound of, of flies just buzzing. like. And mind you, there was a period in the desert when we were around a lot of dead bodies and it was that sound. It was the sound of the thunderous sound of flies around a field of dead bodies. And it was coming at us. And I'm just like holding the gun and I'm like, what is happening? And these lights, they come, they come, they come, and they go to either side of me and pass. And I'm just standing there like, I don't understand what just happened. I don't, I don't think that was a vehicle. I don't know what is happening. So the the fog lifts the night comes back it, it, it all kind of calms down but i am deeply uh disturbed by this this event and in uh i'd say about a month later we we found ourselves uh sitting with bedouins and i tell them the story and the bedouins look at each other and they're like you know all monsters come from this desert all monsters your vampires, your werewolves, all monsters were born here. And what you saw was the mother. And it was like, uh, okay. Yeah, I don't know if that's something I'd want to be told. But... I know. Well, and it was weird because, again, now I have it in that story. Yeah. And so I don't spend a lot of time freaking out about it because it's like, here's this event. This is what happened. And this is what I found out about it. And it doesn't affect me the way it did, but for, for the time between it happening and those Bedouins talking to me, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't, you know, function, I, especially at night. At night, I was always afraid that the buzzing would come back and the vehicles would come back and the lights would come back. And so, yeah, I, 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 found, I found peace in 
as horrifying <laughs> a, a tale that they shared with me, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, did they, well, the one question that comes to mind is, did they give it a name by chance? Like They did, and I, I am very remiss for not remembering. I remember thinking it sounded like they said Tiamat. And so in my mind, I always thought of it as Tiamat, but I, I don't think it was. But I remember it sounding like Tiamat. Well, actually, as soon as you said that, something clicked in my head with that word. Well, I, I, it's from D&D. You know, <laughs> it's like a, a, a multi-headed dragon in D&D. Um, however, that name does come from actually, text. Yeah, it's a, actually, I just Googled it because I am the type of person who has to Google something when I think of it. Absolutely. And it's actually a personification of the primordial sea from which the gods were first created in ancient... Uh, in, maybe they did say Tiamat. <laughs> in, in ancient Mesopotamian gods, which in Mesopotamia is That's Iraq. It. That's Iraq. So, so, I mean... There you go. Yeah. Um, uh, like I said, it sounded like they said Tiamat, and now it sounds like they may have said Tiamat. Which, that would make 100% sense, and no, folks, this is not planned. I really did, did just Google that, and just because that that name stuck out in my head, and I know I heard it somewhere, because I, I listen to a lot of podcasts of myths and right. legends. Well, you know, I know Tiamat, like I said, from D&D, and from um, that uh, Necronomicon that they released oh. for sale. I think there's a story of Marduk and Tiamat fighting in there. Oh, um, yeah. Isn't it Marduk and Tiamat? Uh, I'm thinking it may have been Gilgamesh. Maybe, maybe. Be because that's where I'm thinking I've heard the name Tiamat is when I've heard the ancient legends of that Mesopotamian god king, there you go. Gilgamesh. That, and makes, then, that makes perfect sense. And, uh, you know, it's funny because I do, I have a, a, a passing interest in mythology and yeah. mythos and things like that but i found myself kind of focused away from from the middle east and uh it's and certainly mesopotamia absolutely it's hard to get into the mythology in that area of the world because it's so vast and so historic that it's there's interesting because i was I, I i literally just recently had a long conversation about this because of moon night yes when moon Knight came out yes i was like you know it's interesting because we're so used to derivations of mythologies that kind of informed our society and our civilization where you know when somebody talks about norse mythology or greek mythology or stuff like that it it fits into our ethos we understand it because it it harkens to a part of how our society was built but when you watch something that has gods that you are not familiar with um it, it might become complicated to follow because uh, there's a lot of criticisms i love the moonlight uh, moon Knight series but a lot of people had criticism about it i was like i wonder if it's because it's such a foreign series of gods. You know, it's such a foreign pantheon. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I also, I'm a huge Marvel head. So, sure. I mean, M Moon Knight was amazing. I've been waiting <laughs> years to see that character come on. Oh, me too, some, me too. <laughs> some kind of screen, because he's, he's one of the most interesting characters, and he's basically Marvel's Batman. But, I mean, he just... And yeah, I don't believe people are familiar with Egyptian gods, especially unless you are into mythology and folklore and you listen and read to the stories of these <laughs> gods. I mean, American Gods by Neil Gaiman is one of the greatest yes. 
I love that book because it taught me so much I did not know. Or I mean, I knew a lot already about different cultures, gods, but that book just makes you well, learn everything more. And he, and even in American Gods, he he swung at the big ones. He and, did, but he and, had well, well, what was interesting was uh, because that's what I was saying about you know even in Egyptology, us uh, people who have a passing interest, you know, we'll know the big ones. We'll know Ra and Isis. We'll know you know we'll we'll we'll, we'll know those uh the the headliners as it were uh but when you get to those those lesser known gods it does it, you almost feel uh woefully ignorant about a whole segment of belief and and culture and things like that so it's it's vastly interesting to me um but i could see where it could be uh something that people are uh, you know uh don't relate to they can't they can't get their footing into it yeah, I mean, Egyptian gods and all other Middle Eastern gods are not like the Norse and Greek, like you said, because everybody knows the stories of Hercules. Everybody knows the stories of Thor because it's been pop cultureified so much over the well, last hundred years. It's Western civilization. Yeah, you know, uh, that that was the cradle of of Western, you know, uh, uh, societal comprehension. So it, it, even as the West was developing, those stories became pillars of comprehension. You know, Norse. You know, Thursday for crying out loud. You know, Wednesday. Um, yeah. Friday. <laughs> when you think about it, we use a lot of it, and so it is almost second nature to the West to know Greek and Roman and, and Norse and even Germanic to some degree. Yeah. Um, Although we stomped a lot of that out. We, I mean, well, yeah, Christ, Christianity in general Christianity stomped, stomped, stomped out a lot, a lot of it. Out. Stomped a lot of the old gods out. Even they even published their own version of Ragnarok because Absolutely. they want they wanted to kill off the gods. <laughs> so, but I mean, anybody who's like, well, anybody who's like myself or you and is learned in these different cultures to some degree at least, and more just is into pop culture things that knows these gods like assassin's creed or i mean <laughs> right right yeah i mean i think that's that's amazing that we do have media that is serving to broaden our cultural awareness you know that gives us uh, uh conceptually because you know there's such rich stories such rich stories that i uh, think that we in the west have um have been woefully ignorant of uh and and they would tell you different uh different morals and, and and have different uh outcomes to those stories I'm, I'm a huge story head i love i love good stories oh same i've been i've been reading anything i could since i was six or seven years old just because i want to read every story i could and some of these stories are just amazing i mean there's just so much out there and i was just gonna say something i totally lost it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean like yeah actually okay no no i was gonna say um like one of the stories I just recently started hearing about on podcasts and stuff, and I never even heard of it before this, but I would love to see them make actually like a TV show out of it and make it accurate is Journey to the West. Oh, Journey to the West is amazing. Well, you know, um, that's what Into the Badlands is. Kind of. Well, no, uh, I, I mean, sorry. Yeah. It's, it's uh, uh, influenced by. <laughs> loose, loose, very loose interpretation of it, yes. Very loose interpretation. Well, and, you know, just the Monkey King alone the his story is it's incredible so fascinating yeah just uh, well and because of that placement because he was uh the monkey king my favorite like construct of it is this is a mortal thing being that became a god and that journey 
into becoming a god, going to you know the mm. immortal's garden and and all that stuff. It's it's fascinating because in um, in almost every other mythology, there is this very impossible gulf between you know, between mortal and god mortals yeah. and, and and the immortals the gods but you know the um the eight immortals of china uh and even like if you watch uh, the you know wire fu kung fu movies uh there's an interesting thread which is that mastery of something is like a godliness is like and so, you know, when you, when you have mastered something and, and in, in Kung Fu movies, it's always Kung Fu, but you know, it's always fighting, Of course. Um, but the mastery of it inherently makes you greater than human, you know, gives you the ability to walk on water and run up trees and fly through the air and all these things. And it's like, it, it, it the inspiration is work hard and the reward is yeah. greatness, you know, and the reward. And so it's not you were born the son of a god you know your yeah. your godly father came down and had sex with a goose and then you were came out of an egg and uh it's it's literally like you're a, you're a beggar who trained so hard that now you can you know walk on water and punch through walls <laughs> yeah i mean it's yeah i mean i love how you just described one of zeus's famous stories but but i mean you got I mean, yeah, Zeus, the ki- the yeah. the rape the rape king of history, the rape king of Mount Olympus. It's like, good God, man! I mean, yeah, I, I love how every story about him is just—it's literally either okay, this person pissed you off, or this person just happened to be there and I raped them. <laughs> like that's his two genres. <laughs> but it's just—I mean, even yeah, I mean, even you talking about that whole system. I mean, Hercules is just the prime example of that because. I mean, and yes, don't believe the Disney-fied version of it, folks, because <laughs> no, that God, that no. is a joke. He Her- kills Megara, everyone. Oh God, he he kills. Spoiler and sl- alert! He kills and slaughters his whole family because right. he's tricked by gods into doing it. And yep. his his twelve. What's the word I'm thinking of? Labors. Twelve labors are just his basically his credence, his punishment for doing that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That, and that's the only way he could become close to a god and. He never really achieves godhood. He just no. goes on. Well, he, he continues to go on adventures. He ends up on the Odyssey and all that. That's right. He was. He was. He was. He was. Well, because there's that whole demigod. Yeah, demigod. Concept. And you know, I I oftentimes wonder if in ancient times when people had incredible gifts, you didn't just a, a, a ascribe them to the fact that they were touched by a god that a god you know that their their lineage is godly you know if somebody's you know jacked and strong and picks something up that you can't imagine anyone picking up you're like well your mom was raped by zeus <laughs> it's like can't i just be very skilled at what i do it's like nope sorry brock lesnar <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah i mean it's just it's just, the, the stories of the gods are so I mean, yeah, basically they're warnings about what not to do. I mean, Prometheus is a prime example of that, but it's just it comes back around to my whole my whole thing. Stories were how we captured what we didn't understand. They were warnings, they were explanations, they were, you know, uh, and nature was so merciless that we had to create gods that were equally merciless. You know, we had to because when you're like, why did my family get washed away in a flood? Poseidon like, did it. 
because there was an angry God, an angry man out in the water going, and so you better give him some, you know, meat, put some meat on an altar and, and, and you'll be okay. And I think we need stories in a lot of regards to define the human experience. And we outgrow the stories. We come to a point where we're like, well, I know what a thundercloud is now. It's not, you know, Zeus shooting lightning bolts at me. It's, you know, uh, condensation and uh, positive and electric, uh, positive and negative electrons and all this stuff. So we don't, we no longer need that explanation, but there must have been times when there were, because especially in Norse mythology, there's a lot of that. We got off on North. Uh, on mythology i'm sorry <laughs> i realized that this is a paranormal discussion hey, mythology and, par- and paranormal are kind of in they the go same hand boat. in hand absolutely it yeah. was the paranormal of the time and i actually have a lot of theories regarding the limitations of human ability being um being the consensus of the masses when everyone agrees what you can and cannot do that is what becomes the thing you can and cannot do. And the only way to achieve something greater than what everyone thinks is to believe stronger than the crowd, to have greater sense of purpose and meaning so that you can achieve superhuman and supernatural abilities. Because I think that you know, uh, when, when we look at the history of mankind, there's too many instances where people regard uh, even witchcraft is a, is a good one. You know, it, it kind of spins out of control with, with persecution, but what people see and hear, uh, there's a great book in, uh, in this region called Drums and Shadows. And Drums and Shadows, is heard of it. a, it's a public works book. It literally was a government research team came down and started interviewing freed slaves. And they were writing down the beliefs and customs of the freed slaves of Savannah and the surrounding areas, the Gullah and Geechee um, freed slaves. And they expressed so many wonderful stories and so many of them were so similar, but they were interesting because one of them that, uh, that, you, that appear a few times is about the slaves that, that were you know, put to work in the fields out there slaving away under the lash. And then they kind of just stood up one day and looked around and said, I'm going home. And then they jumped up into the sky is what they said. They jumped up into the sky and flew back to Africa. And I was like, that's interesting that more, and it's, it's the kind of thing that would catch on like wildfire, you know, yeah. Oh, you know, he jumped and I'm sure, you know, maybe it was just that person was brutally murdered before somebody's eyes. And they came up with a way yeah. to say that, but then there's a series of stories about, um, the old root doctor who would, uh, they call it dusting. Uh, it's a type of poison that they do. Um, and uh, the person would die. And when they cut open their stomach, snakes would come out. Live snakes would come out. And when I first came to Savannah, I, I fell in, I say I fell in, um, I interviewed a uh, practitioner of, of voodoo and hoodoo. And he had in a jar, a snake that he claimed came out of the belly of somebody who was hexed and i was just like that's really fantastic and 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 he was so open with with everything that was going on and and what to expect and being in this region and the kinds of things and it's like 
it's about belief. It's about the strength of belief. It's about a, a regimented concept that everyone agrees on. And once everybody agrees on it, it's as strong as any reality you're going to come against. Yeah, actually, you just you just added another thing to my uh, bucket list for this podcast. I need I want to get a voodoo practitioner on here and a hoodoo practitioner because I do know the difference. Yeah. But I'm like a lot of people. But I mean, it's just there is so much in this world that is unexplainable. I I mean, I've heard so many stories through podcasts or through people or just through the internet of just things that cannot be explained, and it makes you go back and wonder what. Did, were there really gods back then? And do they still kind of walk the earth? Extraordinary people. You know, mm. if Michael Phelps showed up in ancient Greece, they'd be like, oh, Poseidon. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's incredible. If, if uh, you know, uh, if, if Dwayne the Rock Johnson showed up in ancient Greece, they'd be like, oh, yeah, that's, that's Hercules. <laughs> Look at that guy. <laughs> Dwayne the Rock Johnson, people. Soon to be playing Hercules in a new Disney movie, probably. <laughs> but actually, no, I believe they want Chris Hemsworth for that. But <laughs> as sacred. As sacrilegious as that would be. That they were courting Dwayne the Rock Johnson to be the genie in the in an Aladdin 2. I heard that because of the whole Will Smith yeah. slapper around the world bullcrap. But right. yeah, I, I mean, mean, I don't know how, how accurate that is, but I did hear that and I thought, huh. I From what I read, it's more rumors at this point than sure. anything. And, but... and that's, that's what the internet is. It's, yeah, it's, I mean. It's just a long list of rumors that are waiting to be true. I mean. And then you also read all the stories that Will Smith is still acting in all the movies that they said were canceled and that right. they're still putting them out. So, I mean, who, who, honestly, who knows? I hate the internet. I hate technology. I would love to live. I would love to live back in the olden days where it was just storytelling around a, a fire, around, yeah. around, around a fire in the living room and no lights or anything. I just, <laughs> I mean, well, okay. I, maybe electricity would be a nice thing to have, but <laughs> so I, uh, I live in Savannah. So air conditioning is a must. So, <laughs> I'll tell you, if I didn't get my two ACs put in my new house on Friday, I would have been so pissed this whole weekend because it was a brutal one up here in the Northeast. Yeah, I can't imagine how bad it was down there. That's it why was, it was. It was not. Pl- Although we, uh, I don't know if you caught any of it, but uh, we've been having massive thunderstorms in the evenings just roll through here. So that kind of helps. You know, it kind of takes the edge off of it. Yeah, that's what happened last night here too. Huge thunderstorm, windstorm, and now it's back down to the sixties. <laughs> Gotta love so it. So where are you located? I am located in North Central Massachusetts is the best way to put it. Because uh, Gardner. Okay. I, I was born in Shirley, Massachusetts. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Shirley's Before not Devons, that. I guess, would be the more be- accurate. Oh, yeah. I'm only, I'm only a good 20, 30 minutes away from where you yeah. grew up then. <laughs> so, okay. So my whole family actually kind of, uh, my mom is from Korea, but my dad, he, um, his family kind of came down from Eastport, Maine, and trickled through Massachusetts. And um, like his parents ended up in uh, Newington, Connecticut, uh, West Hartford. Yeah. And so we have lots of family in that region. Oh, okay. Yeah. My uncle lives uh, in uh, Burlington, Vermont. Oh, okay. Oh, I actually, I drove, I drive by there pretty often, actually, because I drive for a living for, I'm a merchandiser. So I, I travel through New Hampshire all the time and, to right. get to get from certain parts of New Hampshire to Massachusetts, you gotta go through Vermont a little bit. <laughs> right. right. Sure, sure, sure. So yeah. So, have... Yeah, and New England is is woefully haunted. I mean Oh god, yes. Talk about your ghost stories. <laughs> Amazingly, I'm having a hard time finding local people that want to talk. So this is the interesting difference. Here's here's another interesting thing is um 
and I've noted this, Savannah is a pretty celebrated haunted town. Everybody wants to talk about their ghosts. Everybody's very open here. And I'm like, this is fascinating because I wonder if this acceptance of haunting and this acceptance of ghosts isn't somehow directly correlated to the abundance of hauntings and the abundance. It's like, we are very open and very, and people, you know, love to say their house is haunted and people love to talk ghosts here. Uh, we have so many, we have over 300 walking ghost tours in the city of Savannah. And Savannah isn't that big. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an insane industry here. And I think it's because people are open. They're open about it. And in, um, yeah, in New England, people are tight-lipped. They don't want to talk about their ghosts. They don't want to talk, well, they don't want to talk to each other. You know, there's a, there's a kind of, of reverence where they are putting their foot down and kind of saying this isn't happening. You know, this, that pure, that Puritan mindset just never went away. Right, exactly. Basically. I mean, it's just, I mean, yeah, you go to Salem, Massachusetts and it's just forget about it. You're surrounded by it and it's everywhere. And, Oh, that tree over there. People see a witch hanging from that, a ghost witch hanging from that all the time. Sure, sure. And and even that is like, well, you know, it's probably a greater sin of guilt and 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 anguish and pain that kind of stains an area versus the actual spirits, these individual spirits, as much as this intent and this horrible nature of human action. Because I I, I tend to categorize ghosts a little differently than everyone else. You know, because uh, I believe, you know, and I, I will use the terms, you know, residual haunting, intelligent haunt, you know, um, demonic presence, only because the language doesn't really allow for a lot of deviation. But what I what I believe is happening is kind of different. It's kind of about um, the fact that there is energy that surrounds us and that exudes from us and that that is controlled by us. And that energy is opportunistic and parasitic, you know, and, and can fill a lot of roles and a lot of things can happen. And the more accepting you are about ghosts, the more likely it is to manifest as ghosts. And the more, you know, uh, a terrible event happens, the more emotional energy has been spent in a place, then it's bottled there. It's, it's, it's connected to the place and it can be, you know, uh, inspired to show itself and inspired to interact. Yeah, which actually that that's a perfect segue for me because <laughs> you you happen to mention uh, demonic. Yes. And have you had any actual experience with what you believe to be demonic entities? Yes, I have. Uh, and so it's funny because there are there are numerous instances that I've I've come to, um, but there are three that stand out. And so much so that I consider them to be encounters with the devil rather than a demon um, because of a very specific series of, of events that kind of went into it. Uh, so for the most part, I believe that a demon is, is, is a non-human entity that presents itself and can do damage, um, which does not actually attest one way or the other to whether they're evil or they're good or anything like that. But I do sense that they're non-human. And I do, believe, I do believe that a human spirit can become demonic by shedding its humanity, by shedding the, the parts of it that, that, that govern it in, in a human way. So I think that humans can become demons in action, in, in, you know, uh, and I think that there are energies 
that pose threats to us. So I have a wider range because uh, I believe <laughs> I believe in the deterioration of ghosts. I believe that ghosts uh, can only maintain the appearance of who they once were by the acknowledgement of a living human being. Like when Uncle Ted dies, all the family members can look at this ghost and say, ah, it's Uncle Ted, because they recognize Uncle Ted and he yeah. can hold that form. But over time, when everybody's dead and they see the ghost of Uncle Ted, they're gonna say, ah, it's a man. And he's gonna start losing the definition of all the things that made him specifically Uncle Ted. And over time, it's just gonna be a figure. And that's where I believe shadow people come from. I think shadow people are people who've lost identity as a spirit and are craving identity. So they're looking for you to identify them, to look at them and say, ah, it's Abraham Lincoln. And then they will be like, I'm going to be Abraham Lincoln. I'm gonna do everything in my power to present to you something that you will engage with, something that you'll look at, something that you'll communicate with. Because I think that is the bottom line goal of any paranormal entity is to have a living person acknowledge and define them. And in that definition, it's dangerous. You see a shadow and you're like, ah, oh, it's a demon. He's gonna take that identity. He's going to use your sensation, your definition to define himself or itself. Uh, but I digress. <laughs> uh, I had three instances where I felt that I had encountered the devil being, you know, whatever you would consider that to be, because I will use Christian terms. I'm not necessarily that, that big a Christian per se, but because Christianity has gone through the trouble of labeling things for us, <laughs> I use it pretty liberally. Um, the first time I encountered a spirit that I was like, I think that's the devil was in La Paz, Bolivia. Well, no, excuse me, is in P Potosi, Bolivia. So we we're, were stationed in South America, stationed in Bolivia. Um, we went to this place called Devil's Canyon. Ironically. <laughs> well, actually, I, 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 I'm saying this wrong. It was actually Canyon El Tio, uh, which is Uncle's Canyon. Uncle's Canyon. And we're driving, in order to get to our base, from Potosi, we had to take this canyon, this Tio's Canyon. Yeah. And so we're going through this very narrow canyon, straight cliffs on both sides of us. We're driving along and we look up and there are white uh, crosses on the top of the canyon, the kind of crosses you see where there's been a traffic accident. Yeah. And so we're driving along and we're looking at this and we're like, oh my God, that's interesting. There, you know, We're thinking that it's a religious thing. We ask the guy driving, we're like, what's with the crosses? And he says, oh, each cross is for someone who died in this canyon. We're talking miles and miles of stacked on top of each other crosses, miles and miles. And we're looking and we're like, this is eerie. This is strange. And, and as we're coming out of the, well, actually, before we came into the canyon, we, we noticed that we passed like a guard tower. Yeah. And as we were coming out of the canyon, it had, there was an arm across the road and it was, you know, getting close to dusk. So we're coming up to a guard post and the guard comes out, he's got a machine gun and he's talking to the driver. And uh, <laughs> while I should have 
been able to speak Spanish because that was part of my job. I wasn't great at it. Um, but we, we, we passed the, the, the checkpoint and whatever conversation they had, we, we go on. And so uh, my team leader's like, hey, why are there guards posted at either side of the canyon? He's like, oh, because it's illegal to be in the canyon after dark. And we're like, what does that mean? They're like, if you were in the canyon after dark, you die. And so we're, we're, we're rounding the corner. And as we round the corner, we see this giant painting of Lucifer. You know, goat leg, horns, red body, straight out of, you know, if you, if you type in Lucifer or, or if you type in the devil to your, uh, your, your browser, you will see this picture, a picture like it. You know, he's cross-legged, goat-legged, standing there, and you're like looking at it. And it was about 50 feet tall, this painting. Jesus. And we're like, what is that? And the driver's like, oh, that's LTO. And we're like, excuse me? The, the devil's your uncle? And like, oh, no, 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 don't say that. Don't say that. That makes him mad. You, you, you have to be very respectful of, of Tio. And we're like, why? He's like, Tio will kill you. He kills anybody who's in the canyon after dark. So naturally, I had to go and look. <laughs> so naturally, I had to investigate. Um, and while we were in the canyon, we had passed this incredible red wrought iron gate, just like it seemingly just leaning against, not leaning, but built into a, a wall of the cliff. And that was ground zero for my brain. <laughs> I was like, we've got to go back to that red wrought iron fence. Yeah. So um, the next day... We decide to hike down. We like leave we like at sunrise. We're like, how far can it be? I was like 19. So I did not understand that 10 minutes of driving can be hours and hours walking. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. It didn't like register properly in my head how far away it was. Um, but, you know, uh, I had a, a group of my friends and we, we ended up getting down there and it was already like mid-afternoon. And they were like, and the guard was like, you'll never make it through the canyon before sundown. And we can't let you go into the canyon if you're not going to keep coming out. And so we're like, oh, we're not going to go through the canyon. We just want to go to the gate. And the gate was kind of close. Yeah. It wasn't really close, but it's kind of close. And, and it was a little bit of bartering and a little bit of we're Americans. It's charming. And if we die, it's not on you. Um, so <laughs> he lets us in. And, and, and we go walking to this, this gate. I'll never forget it because uh, I had a friend, Jesus, uh, who was with us. And like almost, I'd say like five steps in, he's like, do you hear that? And we're like, what? He's like, you don't hear anything. I was like, no, we're, we're in a canyon. <laughs> and he's like, okay. So we're walking. And every, every little bit uh, of time, he would, he would just say, do you, do you hear that? Like, well, if you tell us what, we're, what you hear, you know, and, and he's like, no, it's all right, all right. Walk, 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 walk. Takes us a while to get to this gate. And we're at the gate, we're looking at the gate. And then Jesus just goes running at the gate at a full run, running straight at it. And we're watching him run at it. And we're like, what are you doing? And he like walks through the bars of the gate, just runs through it because we misgaged how big the gate was. The gate was huge. Yeah. It was like almost 20 feet tall. And it was like, you could just step 
through it. And he stepped through it. And then we couldn't see him anymore. And we're like, what just happened? So we go to investigate, we go up to the gate and you, it actually was in front of a cave, but the way the cave was, it was like impressed in. So like you, you go in and then the wall goes like this and you have to go around it. So we're like, you know, Hey, says, Hey, says we go in, we get inside the cave. It's like a bell shaped cave. He's not in it. There doesn't seem to be any way around it except for what looked like a natural chimney, like a, a hole in the, in the ceiling ish. So we're like, that's gotta be where you went. So we do the weird Batman shimmy. We put our backs on the wall and our feet and we're like shimmying up <laughs> to the top of the canyon. So we're like shimmy, 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 shimmy all the way up. We get up to the top of the canyon. When we climb out, we actually are literally climbing out of a well, a short well. Yeah. We get out of the well. And when we're out of the well, we are in the middle of a tiny town. And when I say tiny town, I mean, the buildings were only like a foot to two feet tall and it was spread out all around the well. So now we're on top of the cliff in tiny village. And it was like, I don't know what's going on. And we look off in the distance and we see Jesus sitting on the ground. Okay. So we go up to Jesus. And as we're coming closer, we realize that he's not alone. He's sitting with a little girl. And um, we get up to him and we're like, what's going on? And he's like, I heard her crying. You mean miles and miles away when we yeah. first walked into the canyon, when you kept asking us if we heard something, you heard a little girl crying. He's like, yeah, she was crying. And, you know, she's sitting there crying. And um, she spoke a native language that wasn't Spanish. Yeah. And he couldn't really communicate with her well or evenly. And she was just very distressed and she had blood on her. And he was like, we've got to get her, you know, out of the canyon. We're like, all right. So he picks her up and we kind of walk and we're walking on the top of the canyon, but there came a point where we couldn't go any further. So we had to go down and it was like a very steep down. And we're, so we're like coming down off of it. But when we get down into the canyon, the sun is setting. And they told us in no uncertain terms that if you're in the canyon at night, El Tio will kill you. Yeah. So we start booking. We start running, just trying to get to the end of the canyon, just trying to get to that thing. We had miles to go and we're running. And despite our conditioning, we're also way up in the mountains. We're, you know, uh, we're, we're at one of the to- tallest peaks uh, in South America, just running. And the, the night just kind of enveloped around us. It just came at us so hard. And we finally get, and it's, it's now fully night, but we're running and we finally get to the guard post. So we see like, you know, the lamp light shining on it and we're running and the guards come out with their guns pointed at us. And we're shouting every Spanish phrase we, we know. And, and Jesus actually is fluent in Spanish and he's telling them not to shoot, but they start shooting at us. Bah, 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 bah. And we're like, screaming screaming as we run and we run all the way we get to the thing and they're still shooting we're like under the fe- the arm and they're like bah, 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 bah. and we're like what are you doing what are you doing and they look at us and they just kind of n- nod their head over and they're like el tio and we look past the glow of the street lamp and there is something walking back and forth something reddish something humongous 
and we can't quite see. It looked like it was walking on all fours. And it was just like moving just in the distance, almost like, I always say it looked like a giant bull. Yeah. Just pacing, but it was so far away that there was no making it out. It, yeah. it was not close enough for any light to actually hit it, but we could see it and we're looking at it. And I remember Jesus asking the guards saying, how often do you see him? And they're like, every night. So we get the girl up to the top of the canyon. Uh, we uh, we get, take her to the, the medic and the medic's checking her out. And we're like, first thing in the morning, we're driving down <laughs> to Potosi and we're gonna talk to the sheriff. And we'll get this all squared away. Don't you worry, it'll be fine. Um, so we're staying in an old abandoned silver mine, a uh, silver mining camp. So all of the buildings are kind of like just walls with holes for windows, no, no doors or glass. A ghost town, basically. Go, basically, uh, well, and even worse, it was a silver mine, a silver mining town that was built in the late 30s, early 40s by German investors who came to Bolivia. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, built up a little community there. So there was plenty of weirdness there. So we put the girl in, in Jesus's cot. We stand guard, you know, the whole night just talking. And Jesus is convinced that he saw the devil, that that was the devil, he, he, you know, and he was a very religious guy. And so I, I told him, you know, it could be anything, you know, we don't know what kind of animals live out in the mountains. It could have been a giant goat. You don't know, you know, it, 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 our minds were playing tricks on us. So I, I went through the whole litany of what it, it probably was and could have been. The next morning, you know, we, we go to get the girl. She's gone. But remember, there's no windows. There's just holes in the wall. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy to imagine she just walked out and ran away. So we were like, well, we'll go tell the sheriff anyway. So we ride down to the sheriff. And uh, we go into the sheriff's office and we're telling the story to uh, the sheriff. And the sheriff is, is, you know, taking it all in. And he's like, come, come, come. Puts us in his truck and we drive and we drive up to the little town. And we get to the little town. We get out of the little town. And there we are on the top of a hill in the little town. And he's like, where did you see this girl? And Jesus is like, uh, you know, over here. And, he's, and the sheriff's like, okay. And I ask, you know, what is this place? He's like, this is a cemetery. These houses were built for the dead so that their spirits can live here because no one, no bodies were, were recovered. Um, because the main source of death, and it was, it, it, I think if you look it up, it's like 3 million people died in the canyon. Um, but the main reason they died was because it was silver mining and they would go and it was treacherous and the, the mines would always cave in on them. Yeah. And for, you know, the better part of 200 years, it was a very flourishing thing. And they just send people in and send people in and send people in. And they were afraid that they had, um, insulted the devil by going into his territory and taking silver. So they were trying to appease him. They call him uncle. They, they, they made little altars and put food down for him so that please, Elteo, don't kill us. So Jesus takes us to where he saw the girl crying. And the, uh, the sheriff, he like leans down and he breaks open the top of the, the little house. He just pops it open. And it's, it's like a little, little mud house. And he pops open the top. 
and he reaches in and he pulls out a photograph of the girl. And he's like, is this who you saw? And we're like, yeah, that's her. He was like, flips over the picture and it says 1975 on it. It was 1991. Wow. And we we're just standing there stunned. And it was like, no, thank you. I don't want anything to do with this. And it turned out that each of the houses had trinkets in it, little bits of pictures and candles and, and jewelry in each of these houses to help the spirits find their way to the home that is built for them by their family. And the more I spent trying to debunk what we saw that night, the less convinced I was that it was anything other than the devil himself. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, they say it's supposedly said the devil could take many forms, and a bull would not be the first time I ever heard the, uh, the theory of a devil taking the form of a bull. And yeah, it was very strange. It was very peculiar. Uh, and because we could not see it clearly, it was just the thing that came to my mind, you know, <laughs> but it was definitely something I could not match in my brain to anything normal or anything real but uh yeah i counted that as uh the first time i ever encountered quote unquote the devil yeah i mean it even if we want to stay in that realm i mean it could have just been a higher a higher up demon like because because well, according like to i had said uh i'm i'm a, i'm a firm believer that your belief feeds into whatever it is and if the entire community believes the devil's there then it seems likely that whatever entity is there would attempt to appease the belief you know would attempt to be for those people what they are so desperately believing in if like everybody a, believes in it like know? a like a like a golem or a tulpa like very they, much like that yeah like yeah. like the like the uh the concentration of everyone's belief coalesces into something solid, into something real. And, and since they, they did spend their entire time deeply fearing and respecting this specific specter, it just made sense that that would be what we were dealing with. And plus, just on top of that, I mean, South America is a vastly unexplored country still. It really is. And there are so many cryptid sightings down there that are one-off sightings or a couple times sightings and it's just there's so much down there that we could so many animals that could exist even that we don't know about there were a series of weird events one of them was um the shooting stars because we again we're, we're way up you know twelve thousand feet above sea level um and the stars you could almost hear them when they were going overhead they lit up the ground just like <laughs> flying right over your head and right before we left South America, we ran into uh, he was a captain who claimed that he was headed to Peru to a research facility in Peru to speak to aliens. Um, and we were like, okay, you know, it's like, that's okay. And he's like, yeah, we, we have a, like a research facility in Peru for this specific purpose of communicating with aliens. I'm like, all right. 
And what made it even weirder was he, 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 the story fascinating. He was like, he had been shot in the head during a training exercise. And when he came to, he had psychic abilities. And then he was inducted into this organization that speaks to aliens. And that was his whole story for us. And we were like, what do we do with this information? And he's like, nothing. It's top secret. You're a top secret. There's nothing you can do about it. And I was just like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. And we had to pick him up and drive him somewhere. And he told us the whole story while we're driving. I was like, this is the craziest story. Yeah. That's, I mean, that actually sounds, that sounds like something straight out of the X-Files or straight out of like. Oh, any, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. And, and, you know, to this day, I consider that guy uh, was really messing with us, you know, was, was like really messing with us. But in the years since I became aware of, of Stargate program, I became aware of, you know, uh, SETI. SETI. Well, yeah. And that was it. Uh, the SETI um, radio uh, telescope is, is in Peru. And I was just like, wait. <laughs> and so I, it, it, it's so fascinating because there were so many little weird ticky moments because the whole thing was like being in in an x-files episode that whole area you know it's so again the terrain is so different than anything i'd ever been in you know everything's vertical everything's pointy and very strange i mean there's a reason they tell you don't go to most parts of south america without guides because you're not going to come back because you're not going to come back absolutely but i mean it's funny that you say that the cave that you followed jesus into looks like a bell and it had a chimney because I believe in the American Southwest, there is the devil's bell and the devil's chimney. Is there not? So I've heard of the devil's chimney before. Yeah. And I've heard of, yeah, of the bell, witch, well, <laughs> who lives in a cave in Tennessee. Um, call out the, call out the small town monsters on that one. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I believe there also is another, I think it's just a feature in a mountain in the Southwest somewhere. It's called the devil's bell. And it looks like, it just looks like a bell. And of course, everything in the Southwest, they refer to the devil. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> because it's so hot. Well, yeah, I mean, it's burning. <laughs> I have I had never been to the Southwest. That's one of my many travel goals. But then again, I really don't want to because I don't want to feel like what, what, it's full of the devil. <laughs> yeah. Well, not that I'm scared of the devil. I, I, I have a few, I, I have a soul. I have a few deals I can make. It's all good. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, keep that list very, uh, very, very precise. <laughs> know well, what you're asking for. Devil oh, yeah. will always give you what you ask for, but never what you want. Yep. Genie and devil. They're born yeah. the same. Well, gin and devil. Yeah, they kind of are the same. Yeah, kind of. And well, I know you got to imagine that that's where it came from, that that whole belief uh, of, of, of exchange. You know, what are you exchanging for those things? Because um, the second time I thought I ran into the devil was at a, as, was at a crossroads, you know, uh, at 3 a.m., because that's where uh, we were told that if you go to the first crossroad south of a cemetery at midnight, the true midnight being 3 a.m., mm-hmm. the devil will appear and make you an offer for your soul. Um, but the person who told me was like, be careful because it's not an offer. Sometimes he'll just walk up and say, it's like a stick of gum. Yeah. You take it. If you take anything from the devil, anything at all, You've exchanged your soul for it. If, yep. if you take anything from the devil, you exchange your soul for it. And I was like, that's so 
maniacal. That's so scary. It's like, well, you can't take anything from the devil. If you take anything from the devil, it's it, it's binding. It means you've 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 agreed to the trade. Um, and <laughs> the same person was quick to say, like, you know, uh, the devil uh, the devil created quicksand so that when you're sinking, you would call out for help. And if you take the devil's hand, when he pulls you out of quicksand, you trade your soul for the help. I like that. That's good logic. Yeah. I was, and it was the first time I ever heard that. Uh, and I was like, that's a really cool myth of quicksand. You know, it's a, it's a, a, because when I was a kid, they made it seem like quicksand was going to be a big part of our existence. You know, that there was quicksand everywhere. You're just going to sink into quicksand, no matter where you went. And every Every TV show had quicksand. All the movies had quicksand. I know it's like ridiculous the amount of times they had that in, in like the old movies and TV shows. It's just right. <laughs> it's like, well, still have not seen the quicksand that everybody was so afraid of. Well, I'll tell you, my 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 backyard is I own a acre of woods behind me, and it's all swampland. Oh God! Acor- according to my neighbor, if you his cousin was hunting back there before I owned the property, and if it wasn't for two tree roots. He would have sunk down to the mud so deep you wouldn't be able to find him. The only thing that stopped the only thing that stopped him was his rifle getting caught in tree roots. That's amazing. That is a lucky story right there. So I don't know. It's not quicksand for eh, actually, it might be called quicksand because this whole area is very sandy dirt. So there you it, go. Very possible. There you go. But yeah, you would think it was the truth here with how swampy it is, because we're we're you know totally immersed in swamp. But uh no. It, it the alligators will eat you before quicksand gets you. <laughs> oh god, yeah, you don't, yeah, yeah you don't mess with alligators. <laughs> but, but so anyway, what happened? What what happened at the crossroads? That we never. Oh, so yeah, me and a friend, we go down to the crossroads, and we're standing at the first crossroads of um, Colonial Park Cemetery in Savannah, Georgia, which we think is uh, Liberty and. Um, Lincoln, Liberty and Lincoln seem to be the first crossroad south of a cemetery. So we're standing there and we're just talking. And as we're talking, uh, the, the cemetery is now a, a full block away, but it's kind of like, uh, it's a little alley that goes into a, um, between two houses and there's the cemetery, you can see it. And uh, as we're talking three o'clock in the morning, this thick fog just starts forming in the cemetery. And we're looking at the fog and we're like, that's interesting. And it's this ghostly thick fog. And we're looking at it and we're like, okay, but it won't pass through the gate of the cemetery. It stays over the cemetery. And we're looking at it and we're like, that is weird because it's grass on both sides of the, of the gate. But for some reason, it's staying in there. So it draws us away from the intersection. Yeah. So we're going and we come up and we're like looking at the cemetery, deep, dense fog. And, and it's, it's fascinating, interesting. And while we're standing there looking at it, headlights come on behind us, boom, from that intersection, from the intersection we just left. And we turn and this car has its brights on and it starts squealing its tires and comes barreling towards us. Now we're assuming it's gonna just jump the curb and run into this fence, but instead it like slams on the brakes and does a, a big turn and it reveals itself to be this blood red minivan. And we're looking at it and it says magical taxi spelled with a K. <laughs> uh, magical taxi with a K, magical with a K. And we're like, what? And this guy steps out and he's got to be six foot seven. 
and he's got this long ZZ top beard and he steps out and he starts smelling the air. <sighs> and then he walks around his minivan doing that the whole way. <sighs> and me and my friend were just like, mm -mm. holding our mouths, holding our breaths, not making a sound because he didn't seem to notice us. And we we're only like six feet away from him. He didn't make eye contact or anything. He's just sniffing. <sighs> and after a while, he gets back into his car and he starts slowly driving away. And he gets, you know, 10 feet down the alley. I turn to my friend. I'm like, I think that was the devil. And the car stops. And he jumps out again. And he does it again. He walks around. He's like, <laughs> and he gets into his cab. And this time we wait until he's good and gone. And we're like, what the hell was that? I don't know. Now, at this time, I was giving ghost tours uh, every night. And uh, on, I'd say about, Three weeks later, and this became like a regular ghost story I told. <laughs> yeah. It was so weird. So I'm telling the story, and there's a woman, and you'll get these on a, on a ghost tour. Uh, there's a woman who was not having any of it. She did not like any of my stories. She just she constantly looked like someone had held like you know uh, dog poo under her nose. She's just frowning at me the whole time. And so I'm just like telling the story, and I'm explaining how it went, and I'm reenacting re it and showing them where the car was. And uh, we're, I'm like, okay, we're going to the next place for the next story. And I start to lead them away. And the woman speaks up and she says, did you say there's a ghostly fog? And I'm like, yeah, in the cemetery. Like, yeah, that's what pulled us away from the um, crossroads. And she goes on to explain that she researches stories of people who claim to have sold their soul to the devil and of all the claims that she had ever gotten there were three that stood out to her and the three unrelated stories all had the same element of a ghostly fog appearing right before the devil showed up and her explanation was the dead do not want you to encounter the devil so they create a fog that is actually their spirits, the ectoplasmic remains of them, to hide you. Because the devil cannot tell a living soul from a dead soul. He can only see the mass. And so if you're just among all of these spirits, he's trying to suss out which is alive and which is dead. And they're they actively trying to, to, to protect you and keep you from selling your soul, according to this woman. And I was like, weird because you know i i stood on a very thin line of like that was just some crazy cat taxi cab driver <laughs> you know, that was that was that was just an encounter that was weird it was it was it was timely it worked right on time with what was happening but after that i was like could that have been because i then even called magical cab which was a cab company it wasn't like you know yeah. weird um and I asked them if they had any, you know, big bearded, big guys. And they're like, no, we don't have a driver like that. And I was just like, I swear I saw one, you know, just, you know, last month. And they were like, no. And I was like, okay, thank you. <laughs> and they may have just been trying to protect their cab driver from a complaint, but. <laughs> they could have been, but I mean. Still adds to the mystique of it all. And I, I, I went ahead and I put that in the box of. I think you saw the devil that night. Yeah, which I mean, 
Yeah. It, I would almost assume you did. Cause I mean, even if it was a, even if it was just a regular cab driver, his why, behavior, why was would they so yeah. bizarre? Exactly. My point. Why would they get out of a car and just start walking around and sniffing? Air. Like yeah, it was, and and it wasn't just sniffing; it was grunting like a pig. Yeah, he sounded like a like a, a wild boar, and it was just so freaky, to the point at which it was like, if it were just a person doing that, it would still be so freaky. You know, it would still just be so unnaturally bizarre that you'd be I mean, like, oh no, no, thank you. I don't. I mean, any of it. yeah, not, not a guy, not not someone you want to run into in the dark alley in the middle of the night, but right, exactly. <laughs> But I mean, yeah, not hanging out around a cemetery. You want to throw down with that guy. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, they have, well, I mean, the crossroads thing goes back until like ancient times. It's absolutely, yeah. it goes so far back. And as a fact, the person who told us uh, about it had written um, an article about Robert Johnson, the blues player. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so this guy had done extensive research and, and folklore and, and how it ties into Southern. Um, superstitions uh, because in the south apparently um, the devil concept is very strong because it's all about uh, alleviating suffering it's about trading your your suffering for relief yeah and, and you trade your soul to get relief um, and so it preyed heavily on the black culture of the period and so and you know, um, in that very fascinating way that Christianity locked horns with um, the Gullah Geechee natural traditions, the, the voodoo, hoodoo, um, root doctoring traditions, the devil swayed in a lot of ways to become almost a positive force in, the, in, in that Afrocentric community as a as the trickster which is something that is recognized in, in most cultures uh as as a a neutral agent that could be good and could be bad and if you just know how to play your cards you know like yeah i mean it basically goes back to like the legend of papa Legba. yes absolutely like i, I mean which i really only learned about that from american horror story and then i <laughs> And then I took that and I, I, I went from that to learn more about it because that was a very interesting idea. And I saw right away, like the crossover, I'm like, he, he makes deals to make your life easier. I'm like, that's very close to the whole devil in the crossroads mythology. That, exactly, exactly. And I mean, I've heard extensive research about Robert Johnson too. And mm -hmm. it it's seems, fascinating. It, it seems like something did happen to him that's unexplainable. Well, and there's, um, you know, that like um the paranormal uh holy grail of of his last recording um because apparently in his last recording not only can you hear him being shot because he was shot while he was recording that last uh recording but everybody says you can hear the devil laughing yeah i mean it's yeah i mean that's kind of like the whole point kiss backwards and it says hail satan but oh no it's the perfect thing because it's like well no one's going to find that recording no no it's so you can say whatever you want but it's good it's good to have reliquary the relics of paranormal encounter um 
because it yeah it's that it's the holy grail it's it's this thing that that hinges on your belief you believe it exists but the moment you you know really try to find it it's it's a uh, gone yeah it's a journey for nowhere yeah i mean it's well it's actually funny because my fiance always told me that she acquired at one point a decade or, two or so ago an actual real book of the dead oh sure like and she read it cover to cover and all of a sudden she started hearing her name called all around her room all times of the day and there'd be no one else home no one no one in the house that would be calling her name so she actually blessed the hell out of her room with sage and everything else she could do covered up all the mirrors and everything because she was seeing things in mirrors and i i guess she actually turned all her crosses upside down at that point but so she quickly turned them back to normal after like a day of that because Sure. She said she said it was the most freaky thing that ever happened to her. It was just well, it's interesting because um I read the in high school, I got the the published, you know, fully debunked Necronomicon. Yeah. And I suffered from somnambulism. I, I started sleepwalking yeah. shortly thereafter. I found myself out in the woods regularly and I was having terrible nightmares and terrible night terrors. And I was like, I'm giving too much power to this, even though I've been told, uh, you know, unequivocally that it's false, that it's just a fiction, but it somehow needled its way into my consciousness. And it's like, that's how powerful storytelling is. That's how powerful, you know, if somebody sets something down and it is believable to you, there's nothing saying that it won't be real to you. And then you follow the logic of, of the, just the simple idea that there's energy all around us that we are not aware of, that we don't have any concept of, looking for ways to communicate to us, looking for ways to connect with us. And we're reaching out with the most horrific things in our minds. Yep. And they're thinking, this is how you want to communicate. This is your, your form of communication. You are following ritual and you're following these things. And if you're doing these steps to see something, I will show you something. You know, I will show yeah. you what you're looking for. Um, yeah, I have, I have ugh, mirror stories. I've got terrible mirror stories. And um, well, to yeah, say mirror, mirror lore is, is so bizarre. And I've had terrible encounters with several mirror entities that I just... Uh, as a matter of fact, when I, in my collection of ghost stories, there's only one story where I'm convinced that the telling of the story killed a friend of mine. A friend of mine died after hearing this story. And I, I go back and forth as to what actually happened because I don't, I don't have a full grasp of it, but yeah. I know that it directly influenced how he died but whether whether or not it was supernatural or you know um tragic yeah. is becomes the the sticking point but i do know that had i not told him that story he would not have died in that nature and it becomes like this kind of burden where you start thinking it's like well how dangerous are stories how dangerous is you know because people get obsessed with ghosts yeah they you know um I used to go on a ghost tour. I tell ghost stories. And then the next night I'm on a ghost tour and people from my tour the night before 
would be standing in front of a house, staring at it. And I'd be like, okay, guys, what you doing? Say, like, oh, well, you know, after your story, you know, this house, it just, something about this house, it just draws us here. And I'm like, okay, don't do that. <laughs> don't become that person. <laughs> you know, let it go. Let the house go. Don't give, don't give the house anything more. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let it go. Yeah. I mean, well, hmm. What well, we might have to do a part two episode someday with those mirror entity stories. Right. You know, and it's like, I would, I would, I would go into it, but you know, uh, we're already at a, at a pretty lengthy time and I don't want to monopolize the night. <laughs> well, let's just, let's, let's just say we'll do your last. We'll put a, we'll put a pin in it. <laughs> All right. We can, we can save your last dance with the devil for another time. Oh well, uh, I, well, that's actually what I was going to say is that I can do the oh, the last devil okay. story, but I but like the mirror stories, oh. are a whole other series oh. of oh, we can we could definitely do that another time. We could yeah. definitely do that another time. <laughs> well, I'll come back for just mirror night. I could actually might work that out to something, but <laughs> uh, sure, I'm 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 on board. Um, so, uh, so the final encounter when I first moved to Savannah. Um, I was arrested three times in the first year for trespassing because I was ghost hunting. Typical. And nobody uh, pressed charges because, you know, I wasn't stealing. I was, I just happened to be on properties. One was a museum that I hid in until, <laughs> until everybody had left. Uh, and then I couldn't get out because it was, the alarms were on the doors <laughs> and when I yeah. tried to leave. Uh, I triggered an alarm. Anyway, uh, in any case, I was that guy, that crazy. And this was before ghost hunting was popular. Uh, you know, there were no TV shows or anything to back me up. It was just me trying to get into haunted places. And um, so I was known to a small band of police officers as that crazy ghost guy. <laughs> There was, there's a property that was abandoned, long abandoned property right in the heart of downtown, prime real estate, um, but they could never get anybody in. Lots of ghost stories abound about the place. It's just one of those places. Well, I get this call from uh, a sergeant and he's like, hey, do you know anything about occult symbols? Like, you know, we've got yeah. some graffiti. And we feel that it's cult related and we would like you, you know, we need somebody to look at it. And, and it was an interesting quandary because what was happening was apparently their case, this particular case was about to be handed off to the GBI, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. And they're like, if we can get a head start on it, we might be able to keep the case and, and work on it. But, you know, if the GBI come in, they, they basically cut us out of the investigation. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not an expert, but I do have, you know, knowledge. And they're like, okay, could you come down and look? I was like, yeah, sure. So they actually take me to the place. They take me to this house. I thought they were going to show me photos, but instead they like, it's, uh, there are three cops and me and they escort me in to this building and they take me around to this giant kitchen, like a galley kitchen. And the wall is covered in graffiti written in blood. And I'm looking at it and they're like, what can you tell me about it? I'm like, okay, well, this kind of goes with 
a human sacrifice. You know, that symbol there is for opening a door and that symbol there is for letting something through and that symbol there. And so we go through it and they're like, so what are we looking for? I was like, well, you're looking for a, a, a body with 12 uh, stab wounds on the front and 11 stab wounds in the back, 23 stab wounds total. And so they like start comforting. And uh, it turns out that they had pulled somebody out of the river with multiple stab wounds and they, you know, you know, test the blood against that guy, whatever. So they're talking about it. One of the cops pulls a gun and just shouts, you know, move, don't move, stay right there. And I'm like freaking out. And he's pointing into a shadow in the room. And we're like, you know, his, the, the other two cops are like, what, 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 what? And he's like, there's somebody right there. There's somebody right there. And we're looking and my, it's really dark. So we can't really see what's going on. And the strange thing is this was in the middle of the day. It wasn't yeah. like nighttime. It was just that all the windows had been boarded up and there was no light coming in. And we were like around all these corners in the back. And then this guy goes running after, just running. He ran away from us. And there was me and two cops in the kitchen, just like, what was that? And there, you know, one little click light. We're like, um, what do we do? And so the next cop says, uh, I'll go see what he's doing. He, he, he goes off and now it's just me and one other cop. We hear like stomping up above our heads, boom, 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 boom. So the next cop's like, okay, wait here. And he goes, now I'm alone in the kitchen with a wall full of graffiti standing there. <laughs> and you know, when you stand in a place and you get that sensation that there's something right behind you and you just know for sure there's something standing right behind you and you just feel it. And, and everything in your body is like, well, just turn around, just turn around. If you turn around, you'll be fine. If you don't turn around, something terrible is going to happen. I couldn't move. I had that sensation turn around, but I couldn't even turn my head. I couldn't yeah. even move my eyes. I felt paralyzed just down to the point. And I felt whatever it was just, lean in against me i could feel a presence right behind me but it was bigger than me so it was coming like down like it was stooping down and try as i might i mean i i remember the, there was pain in my muscles from attempting to turn and then i heard clear as day this voice this deep voice and i couldn't even tell if it was inside my head or outside my head but it was like shaking me and the voice said mine and I just started screaming. And when I started screaming, I felt my body and I started running. And as I ran, I knew that I wasn't the only one screaming. I knew there was other screaming happening around me. It was the other cops. They were screaming and they were running too. And we we're all running for that front door. And we had like a three stooges moment trying to all get out of that front door. We all just fell through, tumbled out of the front door and ran across the street. And there was a church on the other side of the street. And we ran to the church and put our hands on it. And we we're just like leaning against the church, panting. I turned to these cops. I'm like, what, what, what did you hear? What did you hear? Did you hear something? Did you hear something? And they're all like, oh, we heard you crying and screaming. It's like, no, you heard something. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, whatever. So they just shut off and left. Yeah. Now I started working for the city of Savannah shortly thereafter. And I would see these cops over the course of the next four or five years. And when we were alone, they would be like, Hey, can I, can I talk to you? I was like, sure. 
you know that day that we we're at 12 West? I was like, yeah. Well, I did hear something. I was like, you did? And I was like, yeah, it was the weirdest thing. I, I felt this presence behind me and I, and I just kind of froze and I couldn't move. I just couldn't move. And then I, then I heard this voice say mine and, and I lost it. And then another year would go by and second cop would tell me the same story. Yeah, I was frozen and I couldn't. And, and, and then mine, and I, I, I lost it. I screamed, I ran. Finally, it was the guy who drew the gun, the first cop who ran off. And we're, he's, he's manning a barricade at a parade. And he's like, hey, man, I need to tell you something. I was like, yeah. So you remember that day at 12 West? I was like, yeah, I remember. And he's like, yeah, it was, it was the damnedest thing. You know, I, I felt this present behind me. I was like, and you couldn't move. And he looked at me and he said, oh, no, I, I could move. I was like, what? Yeah, I, I turned around and looked it dead in the eye. What? He's like, yeah, it had these giant orange eyes. These orange eyes, they just burned, burned into my eyes. It was like looking at the sun. And this was four years after the event. And he says, when I blink, I still see those eyes. And I was like, you're kidding. He's like, no, they took me off patrol. I couldn't pass my, my I couldn't qualify on my handgun anymore because it was like, it would hang every time I blinked. And I'm like, dude, that's incredible. And I was like, what, what do you think it was? He's like, oh, I know what it was. What? The devil. <laughs> Why do you say it was the devil? It's like, what do you mean? I heard him. It's like, I think we all heard him. We all heard him say the same thing. And he goes, yeah, he was claiming us. He was claiming our souls. He was saying mine. Oh, and I was like, I just a shot my whole spine. It was like lightning hitting me. And I, I that whole encounter changed so drastically because I realized that somewhere deep inside me was this almost violent pull to go back, to go back into that house. I had to literally restrain myself on several occasions from walking up and kicking the door down and going inside. I, I just avoided going anywhere near the house because I had this desperate need to get back into the house. Is it still abandoned? No, this is the, <laughs> so uh, I, I told that, I used to tell that story all the time and people were like, ooh, and the house was abandoned and it was like, oh, it's scary. Um, they turned it into a restaurant, this giant restaurant. And uh, somehow <laughs> my friends talked me into, knowing my history, talked me into going to like the opening week there. And so it was like, okay, you know, it's full of people, it's, you know, life and everything and it's all lit up. And so we go in and uh, immediately I feel just sick, like, oh heavy and dizzy and i get they take me upstairs and into like a they sit me at a booth and on three separate occasions the wait staff as they were like taking orders and dropping things off fell over like fell onto me like i had to like push them back upright and they're like i'm so sorry this has been happening to me all day they were getting dizzy and falling over wandering around this building and i'm like this is not good and then one by one, all my friends like started touching their face. And I'm like, 
what are you doing? And they're like, is my nose bleeding? And then everybody's like, oh my God, I thought my nose was bleeding. And we all felt like our noses were bleeding. And finally, we were just like, we got to go. <laughs> it's time to go. We got up and we left. And I remember we were walking down the steps and out of the periphery of my vision, because they hang up, you know, those old photos that you would hang up for, you know, whatever purpose, you know, just to make the place look a little more. And one was an old football team, like an old college football team. Um, you know, before they had big pads, they're just like in sweaters. Yeah. And as we're walking down the stairs, it seemed like the football team's heads were following us in the picture as we were going down the stairs. And I just like fought every instinct to don't look at them. Don't look at them. And I get down the stairs. I'm, I'm walking out the front and my, uh, my child was with me and they were like, did you get a feeling that that picture was looking at us? And everybody's like, yes. And I'm just like running across the street to touch the church again. Well, all I can say of that is holy shit. But I mean, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, that is, I mean, when you first said, when you first said that everybody heard mine, I thought maybe the devil or a demon was claiming the sacrifice was right. his. That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> but when the cop puts it in that perspective, it's kind of like, oh, that's not a good thing. <laughs> it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. <laughs> I mean, whether you want to call it the devil, Beelzebub, Satan, Lucifer, or just an underworld god. Well, you know what's even more intriguing uh, was in the years that followed, what we learned was there was a there was a a drug cartel that was moving cocaine up I ninety five, and there were uh, there were these Jamaicans who were using devil worship as a cover for their operation. So they would do these crimes and leave behind all these clues uh, with occult symbols and you know weird murders and strange things and you know goblets full of blood and things everywhere, so that the investigators would be looking for devil worshiping cults like you know so they, they cre actually created a cult task force when in fact it was a drug smuggling thing that's some smart criminals yeah well it was very interesting because apparently georgia had this this incredibly large um occult uh, task force uh because there were all these occult related crimes uh, but then to learn that in order to get their inspiration, they had this big book, this Germanic book of occult practices Yeah, that they were literally pulling out of because they didn't want it to be something that they could like, they didn't want it to be Santeria. They didn't want it to be, you know, in, in, in any way Caribbean noted. So they looked for something <laughs> primarily white. Yeah. You know? So they, they took this Germanic book of occult practices and were using symbols and things. And I was like, if they were doing those rituals, exactly just to sell it lord only knows what they were doing you know i don't know i mean you said yourself there's a science for door and science for calling right. no they were absolutely using the absolute symbols you know because conceptually you do um 11 stabs in the front and 11 stabs in the in the back in non-killing places so that the person is dying but not you know they don't just flat out die because what you're trying to do is you're trying to open a door long enough for to pull a demon through, yeah. pull whatever it is you want through, so that that final blow. Because when the spirit leaves the body, the door shuts. Yeah. 
So you're trying to open the door for as long as you possibly can. And there are, you know, pinpoint areas which cause a process of absolute death, but you won't, you don't die immediately. And so you're trying to, uh, and it's not science, it's, you know, crazy, crazy, <laughs> you know, practices that people came up with in weird torturing. Horrific yeah, practices. well, it's like the, I believe it's Chi the Chinese with their, was it 5,000 cuts? 5,000 cuts, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's because like suffering brings about a supernatural element. Yeah. I mean, and it's also the same thing as basically, which I, for some reason, 23 is sticking out to me as a satanic number. I forget why. It's, it's oh, the yeah. classic. Um, I think it's like if you divide three by two, it becomes 666. And the classic, you know, if you yeah. put, if you put 23 people in a room, um, at least two of them will be born on the day on the 23rd of the month. Yeah. And it's, uh, uh, there's a movie, a uh, Jim Carrey movie, the number 23. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's all about the, and, and those are, and it's, it's very famously a thing that the yeah. number 23 has demonic, you know, connotations. Speaking of which I was born on the 23rd of July. So, oh, there so you I had heard it long before. And we're, and, we're, and we're talking on the 23rd of May. What? Ah, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought about that. I'm like, wait a minute. I know my, my birthday's 26. I know it's coming up. What the hell's today's date? <laughs> but. Well, damn it. No, <laughs> well, speak of the devil and he shall appear. There you go. We fell for it. We fell for it. <laughs> and I may need to put some uh, crosses over my bed tonight. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Right. One or two. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. I always said like the smoke a cigar with the devil and get to ask him some questions <laughs> but i be careful what you ask for <laughs> yeah i only want to ask questions i don't want to borrow anything i don't want to take anything, <laughs> take anything. don't take his answers but wow i have to say well okay well one you broke a cherry on this show tonight for having the first demonic stories oh good <laughs> we broke another cherry a week or two ago i forget what it was but that's definitely a cherry i've been wanting to burst in this show and some 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 of the most amazing stories I've ever heard from of someone's first person perspective of things actually happening. These are the type of stories you hear when you're a kid at like elementary school Halloween parties yeah, and stuff. Know, and it's worth it's worth noting that I polished these stories. You know, they are they are the version that is easiest to convey because a lot of it is missing. You know, in the actual context, a lot it all happened. It's just. I'm, I'm obscuring things that I don't have answers for, and I'm playing up things that made the most sense. Because again, as I said at the very beginning, my interest is the story itself. You know, when I, when I go looking for things, the story is where I hide my fear. So yeah. I put it. So my ability to, to weave the story becomes my protection. That's what keeps me safe in my mind. Exactly. I mean, well, funny you should say that because the first night I did, the first night I recorded this first episode of this podcast, I was in my living room. It was late night. My fiance was up with me, but my kids were sleeping. And she said that while I was recording it and talking to my first guest, Shanna, who was a friend from another podcast, that she could swore she saw orbs floating around me when I was telling the stories. And I was like, eh, well, they must like them telling their story then. Absolutely. Well, and that's just it. You know, I, I guard myself in a lot of ways. I have a lot of personal superstitions yeah. that involve making sure that the story conveys 
a message. You know, there's there's something there because there's nothing worse than having a story that just raises more questions than it answers or, or you know, creates an itch that you can't scratch, as it were. Yeah, I mean, you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to leave someone, you don't want to tell someone a story and leave them with more questions and answers. Right. You want to, you want it to be satisfying and not every story is satisfying. Not every experience is satisfying. But oh God, I'm, no. I'm always able to steer it towards its, its aesthetic end. Um, because, you know, there's, there's a lot of elements that are, that are wider and, and, and more convoluted. But actually, oh, last thing I'll say before we jump to creature feature, but, okay. <laughs> but basically, well, I want to say it's episode three, but I, this author, Brandy Alexander, wrote a book called Genesis, A Paranormal Alliance Destined to Fight Darkness. Oh, sure. Have you heard, have you heard of this actually? I haven't, but that sounds amazing. It's a very, I would say not young adult, but it's a very classic paranormal book type series that she's starting. And a lot of the elements of your story that you just told actually are in that book. Oh, really? Because the it, the basic overall subject of it is a kid who his brother died saving him when he was a kid. He woke up from a coma and he could talk to spirits. And he ends up having to, he ends up working for the Las, Las Vegas Police Department, helping them solve crimes by being able to- Talking to the spirits. Yeah. And basically he ends up so, having to solve some uh, cult scenes. Oh, there you go. So very interesting. Th that's where it crossed over for me, and right, it ends up being about like them have, him having to help angels fight a demon uprising in the first. Oh, book. that's very cool. So it's a lot of synchronicity and a lot of crossing over, which I love synchronicities. That's I, one of my one of my episodes is named that because of my synchronicity love. But sure. but yeah, I just had to bring that up, Brandy. If you're listening, love your book. I'm waiting for the second. I can't wait to talk to you about it when you're almost about to release it. But <laughs> but. And it is getting late, as you said earlier, so we will jump to Creature Feature segment, and we will, I will keep it down to two cryptids tonight, just because it's, a, it, it's already, <laughs> we'll, it's already, we'll see about that. We'll see. It, it, I always say that then it's like six cryptids later, <laughs> but all right, well, I'm going to avoid ghosts and spirits and all that, because we talked about that. I, I usually avoid the things we talk about in the main part of the show. Sure. Let's jump to Dogmen, one of my favorite topics. The Ragaru. Yes, the Rugaru. Yes. The Ragaru. Yeah. There's a not Go down to New Orleans, see the Ragaru. <laughs> yep. The uh, Dogmen, Rugaru, or the word I hate, werewolves. <laughs> well, it, it, what's interesting is um, I actually met a person who claimed to have encountered a Ragaru. Um, and what was interesting was, and it was during my time in the Middle East with the army, there was another soldier and he was, you know, New Orleans. Well, I guess he wasn't New Orleans. He was, um, he was Cajun. So he was somewhere near New Orleans. And he, he was like uh, telling us that he wanted to go to Egypt. Cause, and we, we had met Egyptian soldiers and he was telling us that he, he you know, what do they think? about um anubis because yeah. the first time he saw a statue of anubis he was like that's what was in my yard that's what was in my yard because he tried to explain to everybody that there was a dog a giant black dog standing on its hind legs 
And so he was like in his bedroom and he kind of suggested that his house was on stilts, but not like, not like tall, but like up. Flood so stilts. Like, yeah. Yeah. In order to look out the window, whatever you see had to be at least seven feet tall to, to break the windowsill. And it was, he could see the chest, shoulders and head of, and he, when he tell his friends at school, he was like, it looked like a, like a, a Doberman pincher. Yep. It was all black, but it was huge. And it was very muscular. It's skin, you know, the fur was like, was shiny and like skin. And, and it was standing there and he looked at it and it, it wasn't looking at him. It was looking off into the distance. And then um, he said, he saw it that day in his yard and he, he was too afraid to move. He was afraid that if he moved, it would look at him, it would see him. So he just stayed and watched him in the window until it went away. And then he said, the next time he saw it, he was in his boat and he saw something coming at him on the creek. And he was sure it was an alligator because of the size of it. Yeah. But as it got closer, he noticed that it, it, it had kept its head out of the water and it was a big dog's head. And he was just like going by and this time it did look at him. But he said that the way, and, and uh, he had like a, a light Cajun accent, but he was like, oh, and the way it looked at me, it, 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 it knew me. It knew me. It looked right in my eye and it knew me. And I was like, weird. And he, he, he tried not, again, to engage it, but it looked at him. So it like swam by him looking at him. And then he saw it walk out of the water on the riverbank and shake out like a dog. But it was, when it's standing, yeah. He described it as this long, lanky, the hair, the fur was very fine and close to the skin. So he could see all the muscles. But, and then, and, and, uh, and he'd seen it twice before he'd ever seen like a picture of Anubis before he'd yeah. ever seen. And when he saw Anubis, he was like, oh, that's it. You know, what, what part, what part of uh, Louisiana is that from? Like, that's ancient Egyptian. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I mean, well, there are many people that, that say that dogmen may have the roots in Egyptian god history. I mean, they may have been created by Anubis or one of the other gods as punishment. But, I mean, I this is one of my favorite cryptids to go to is because I love the idea of dogmen. I mean, I don't want to run into one. God, no. I will never go to Bray Road at night. I will never oh, go. Right. No. <laughs> I, I will never go to the land between the lakes in Michigan at night. Like, I've heard some horrible stories about that place. but. I mean, just dogmen. Are, there's a there's a website that I always talk about in this show called North American Dogmen Project, and it, no one ever seems to be. But I, th- <laughs> I, Derek Hayes of Monsters Among Us podcast mentioned it one time years ago, and ever since then I looked it up and it sticks in my brain. It's a map of the United States with dogmen sightings on it and stories of dogmen sightings. And that's awesome. I I tell all my listeners look at this site because. Even if half of these sightings are false or just made up lies, it's still scary as shit that this could exist to that level. I don't know how old you are. Thirty. Um, I'll be thirty-four on Thursday. Okay, I'm fifty. Uh, and around the same time that X Files came out, there was a show on Fox called Werewolf. And Werewolf, you know, classic Werewolf uh, yeah. show, and it was it was kind of like. Uh, 
it ran on the premise of the old incredible old hulk story it's just a guy who's a werewolf and he has yeah. to travel alone yeah. you know for fear but what was interesting was as a publicity stunt they set up a hotline for people to call in their werewolf stories yeah of course and they sh- they had to shut it down because the sheer volume of calls that came in was so high that they couldn't field them or answer them. And it, it was gumming up the entire grid with people wanting to tell these stories about witnessing and seeing humanoid dogs. I mean, and that's also why I don't like the term werewolf because according to everything that dogmen supposedly are, they don't exist to the natural laws of what werewolf mythology is. No, werewolf and uh, lycanthropy is, uh, it's fascinating because every culture has humans who have the ability to transform into animals, but only in Western culture is it a curse. You know, only in West, because in other cultures, it's a sign of high devotion. It's a sign of high aptitude because animals in other um our other cultures are higher than humans they're honorable they have a they're honorable beings right they they are not saddled with sin they're not saddled with all these things so being able to adapt or create or become an animal means that you can shed the nonsense of humanity and become a purer entity there is one exception to what you're saying though and that would be the skinwalker so that's an interesting thing because a lot of people jump to the concept of a skinwalker being a amalgus animal, but it's not. The skinwalker isn't a wolf that, you know, because it is a, um, it's, it's a beast that disguises itself as a person, not a person who that becomes a beast. You know, and that, that thin line, because we have the boohack in, uh, yeah, in this this area, which is the it wears the skin of a person. It disguises itself as a person until it reveals itself as the creature. Um, conceptually, the difference between a a person that turns into an animal versus a thing that disguises itself as a person, <laughs> they are different entities. They they have different yes. uh, 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 qualifications. So, according to Uti, legend of the Skinwalker. Right. It is a human to begin with who practices the most evil of magic and becomes corrupt. And that's why he could take animal form. Well, and that uh, it's interesting because that concept backwards is that is an animal who becomes human is giving up its purity. Yeah. You know, and that construct being when you become an animal holding on to your humanity you are polluting the animal, not, you know, you're not elevating the human spirit, you're polluting the animal. So if you're trying to achieve human goals while wearing the skin of the animal, you know, it's, it's the corruptibility, I guess, of, of the entity of the people. Basically, I mean, it all comes down to good and evil, basically, either one way or the other. Right. It's, well, it's- so it's funny, because when I was a kid, when I was like, five years old, my very first martial arts instructor was a Chinese man. And he used to call me bear. Come here, bear. Go over there, bear. You know, listen to me, bear. And I never understood. I was like, why do you call me bear? He said, because you're Korean. And I was like, 
is, you know, is it a slur? Is it a Korean slur? And he says, no, all Koreans um, evolve from bears. Uh, the Korean is a bear. And I was like, I don't understand. And so he tells me the story of the first Korean. And the story is the prince of heaven, who is Chinese, apparently, <laughs> prince of heaven comes down to earth and he decides that he wants to live on earth, but not really among people. So he goes to this mountain and the mountain range that separates Korea from China. And he, and he kind of sets up his, his home there. Um, and there's a tiger and a bear who see humans and like, they're amazing. They do amazing things. They build things. They live in, you know, caves that they build. Themselves. Oh, I've and heard they, this. They literally say, make, please, Prince of Heaven, make us humans. And the Prince of Heaven says, okay, you have to go and meditate for six months, mm -hmm. three months or however long, a long time. <laughs> go into the cave and meditate. And the tiger doesn't last a week. The tiger yeah. gets too hungry and leaves. But the bear lasts the whole winter and every day gets more and more human and comes out a beautiful woman and gives birth to the first sovereign emperor of Korea. All Koreans are bears. <laughs> I actually heard that on a podcast mythology podcast about a month or two ago. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> I, I'm, as you're telling it, I'm like, why does it sound so familiar to me? And I'm like, and as soon as you said the bear and the tiger part, I was like, yes. And I'm like, I believe they said on that one that they had to be in the cave for a full year. And that's yeah, something, it, it's, it was an extended long period of time. Because I believe they also threw in that's how hibernation of bears came to be. Yes. Yeah. It is about the hibernation uh, cycle of bears. So, I mean, it's just crazy that you bring that, that, that that's the story you bring up when I just heard it. How long ago and, well, I just find it interesting because there is this concept of, of animals bearing more nobility than, than humans. Well, it's, it's like the whole trickster coyote Native American legend. Yeah, uh, of how the coyotes, the one who helped create humanity and yes. helped guide it into what it is now and it being partly evil, partly good. Right. Oh, yeah. They're amazing stories. And, you know, uh, in the Native American tradition, there is this amazing hierarchy and men are at the bottom. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's other stories we can get into about that one, but we'll save that. Yeah. For we'll save that one for next time. But all, all right. right, I'll do. I'm going to do one more cryptid. I think it's going to be a fast one because it usually is. But since you've been to Africa, I got to go with my old buddy, Mokele Mbembe. Have you heard like a that? Dinosaur? Yes, it <laughs> supposedly is. I'm not going to say yes, it is. But yes, it supposedly is a dinosaur li living in, I want to say, Southern Africa. And I think, yes, I think that is correct. I, I, say, I always want to say Ethiopia, but I think I'm wrong. I am. Um... I have very little problem believing that impossibly rare things live in, in, in heavily wooded and heavily jungled areas. Um, I, uh, when I was in Bolivia, there was a series of times that we had to end up in the Amazon basin and uh, in Colombia and such not. And I remember seeing things that did not make sense to me. Um, bugs that were, like orange and the size of my head and, you know, things I've just never seen before. Uh, weird animals, you know, um, like we saw tiny, tiny deer, but they had full antlers, but they were really small. And th so there are so many things that I, I, if you give me enough coverage and, and I used to argue, you know, we would have found, you know, Bigfoot by now, we would have found these things by now. Um, I was around when an A-10 warthog, fully armed, like 
complete with all of its missiles, all of its bombs, crashed in Colorado and was never recovered. Not one bit of it. And I'm like, okay, that's a 10 ton, you know, uh, fully armed jet. Yeah. (laughs) And you can't find it. You even knew its flight path and you knew where it disappeared from your radar. And you couldn't find so you know the big conspiracy was the pilot sold it, you know like yeah like he landed it somewhere and not and they took it apart and they put it on you know and somebody you know sold all of that but it's like apparently there are dozens if not hundreds of planes that go down in the Pacific Northwest in the woods never to be seen again you know because of the density of the forest and the unexplored nature of it and I'm like if you can't see a giant metal thing from the sky, <laughs> the chances of there being something that we don't know in uncharted regions or which, even lightly charted regions. Which, I mean, you just said, the Pacific Northwest, which we're not going to get into this tonight because it's it would be another hour, but <laughs> the Olympic Peninsula, which is where they have found that what they believe to be Bigfoot nest. Right. Yes. Absolutely. And it's, I try not, to, I don't have the luxury given my life's experience. I don't have the luxury to just flat out say impossible. Yeah. You know, I've spent too much time looking for impossible things and experiencing things that other people deem impossible for me to just flat out say, God, oh, there's no way. There's no way there's a tiny brontosaurus, you know, in the, well, I guess since brontosaurus never actually existed, there's, there's no way that tiny dinosaurs aren't running around in, you know, the jungles of Africa. Um, Because it seems like it's likely that there could be whole pods of animals that exist without our knowledge and beyond our um, perception. Yeah. I mean, I just saw an article the other day that said they found a forest in, I believe was China or Malaysia where it's in a crater of a mountain and it's a wow. forest and it has ancient trees that no human has ever seen before. That's amazing. So if they go down there, are we actually looking at like a land of the lost type experience or a savage land type experience? Well, even um, the, the giant panda, exactly. the giant panda existed. And that was like in the 1900s that they finally discovered yep. the giant panda. But before that, it was like, it's the ghost of the woods, you know, it's the ghost yeah. of the, you know, uh, because it, it looked like a giant skull monster. You know, you see this thing with big black and, you know, <laughs> moving yeah. around. You're bound to think it's something terrible. Yep. And same with gorillas in the 1800s. When, Af- when, yeah. they, when, when we first, when they first started invading Africa and the, they would say of these hairy men in the woods and, it turns out they were just gorillas and no one knew they existed. Yeah, exactly. And how, how, and how would they, uh, you know, until they're there? I mean, it's just, it's, eh, there's just so much to discover in this world. And I wish I could be the one to discover some of it, but then again, do you really want to be the first person to find a species that has never been seen before? And what if it just destroys you as soon as you find it? No, I mean, maybe uh, I would like to discover a new form of, you know, very delicious berry you know (laughs) maybe there's some food item that i could discover that (laughs) oh i don't know about the plants either i heard i was listening to an episode of a show today about plant cryptids and that's a whole nother topic i got some yeah uh, there are definitely terrifying things out there yeah 
I mean, I'm including one cow sucking tree from what I heard today, but I in India apparently, but good lord, but who knows? I we're not gonna get into that because that's that could be a whole other hour as well. <laughs> and I I have no research to back up my plant cryptids. That's my new research topic for the next week or two. <laughs> <laughs> plant cryptids. Oh, paranormal 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 subjects. People always giving you more to research. That's true, uh, and you know it's such a wide field because it just means something that is not accepted as normal. You know, it's something yep. beyond the normal scope. Exactly. Which that right there is where we're going to leave it tonight. Cause that's a good place to end this show for tonight. And I sincerely hope to have Chris back on at some point to again, because he's got the stories that we all want to hear. I know it because <laughs> I want to hear them and any paranormal stories that I want to hear. Everybody else wants to hear because I've heard a lot of them. <laughs> well, it was my pleasure, and I'll, I'll be happy to come back on. So, where can people find you if they want to find you? I you look up Chris Susie S O U C Y. I'm around. I I uh, I I'm on like a recent episode of uh, Portals to Hell with Jack Osborne uh, that takes place here in Savannah. I'm on an upcoming episode of. Um, uh, the ghost brothers um that's coming up or at least this next season coming up i don't know where they are in 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 post-production um but you can find me i'm around uh chris s-o-u-c-y and i will of course link his name into the his name will be in the title of the episode obviously but just so people can find you and as everybody who listens to this podcast knows you can find me as jeremy bryant on facebook you could find the paranormal, the new normal Facebook group, which was created a couple weeks ago. And I do like to put out previews of my upcoming shows daily. If I have previews, but we will, I will talk to Chris about that after we get off the air, (laughs) but you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram as juggalo bastard. And that of course leads to my other podcasts. I do with my friends, bracket bastards, fun, pop culture, comedy podcast that, we i would like everybody to listen to because it is hilarious we are a very funny group of people but <laughs> but i thank our i thank chris for coming in tonight to talk to us and it's been one hell of a show my night flew by i didn't even realize it's been so long so <laughs> that says it all and please tune in next week as we have someone else who can tell us more stories of the unknown from their own personal experience and i'll see you next week